Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. This can be found on page 1028 in your Red Pew Bibles. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Martha was right. Jesus coming into her home was a big deal. She was going to get to provide love and care and hospitality to somebody who had just a little while earlier already professed his own need, that he had no place to lay his head. This rabbi, this teacher on the road to, to well, who really knows what fate, but surely on the road to restoring the kingdom to Israel, he had accepted her invitation. What an honor, what a privilege to have the Messiah of God come into your home. And not only so, but to not care about what other people might say. It was Martha's home, after all. It wasn't her husband's home or some other man's home. It was Martha's home. And she wasn't even related to Jesus at all. This could quite possibly cause a great deal of scandal. This could be controversial. But it seems like eschewing all controversy, Jesus has accepted her invitation. And he's brought his disciples, who must surely be holy men, with him. So this had to go perfectly. Martha doesn't need any gossip. She doesn't need any whispers about how her hospitality was lacking. She has an opportunity here to prove herself to prove herself as capable, to underscore how her until now precarious situation in society is actually quite valuable. Martha was right, and our translation today that was read for us emphasizes this point, that she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. They had to be done. It, the Bible doesn't even dispute this. These men probably had to be washed, she didn't have a servant that could wash her guests' feet. And they weren't going to be reclining at the table with dirty feet, now were they? And then, when they were clean, they weren't going to go hungry, not under her roof, no. They would have their fill. They would feast, because this was somebody worth celebrating. This was an occasion to be remembered. There was plenty that had to happen for this opportunity to go smoothly. And she was the only one doing any of the work. So feeling, I imagine, incredibly isolated and alone, feeling the burden of what this event really meant, and knowing that the efforts she'd gone to would be lost if she didn't have some help in meeting the expectations of her society, 
in meeting her own expectations. She imagines in meeting Jesus' expectations as well. She comes to Jesus and she asks him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Lord, don't you care that I'm all alone? Lord, don't you care that I can't do this by myself? Lord, help me. Lord, send somebody to help me. Jesus encounters this, the second trouble of life, in the middle of everything else that he had just lost for himself, in the middle of hospitality. Having just been rejected and turned away, and many of his disciples being rejected and turned away from villages, forsaking hospitality, he finds some hospitality in Martha's home and encounters more trouble. And so if we thought that community and hospitality were the answer to every trouble and worry of life, this story encourages us to think again, to reconsider that assumption we've made. Because even in this very good moment of hospitality, into the welcome of somebody's home and community, there is still trouble. Now it's not the trouble of Jesus' journey to the cross and the rejection that that brings with it. It's not even the trouble of his disciples having to learn to prioritize the way of Jesus over the way and needs of their families. Now it's the trouble of a woman who is overwhelmed at the enormity of the task that's before her. Now it's the reality of a community that when it is encountered means learning the burdens of another person. And Jesus hears Martha's cry. He understands Martha's pain. Martha is experiencing something that is deeply human to experience. We see it in ancient writings. In Psalm 69, the psalmist writes, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come to the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. I am worn out from even calling for help. My throat is parched. That sounds relatable. I can remember times, even in my own life, where it felt like everything was just going to overcome me, that there was no good way out of a situation, no clear way to meet my goals, and certainly no way to rise to others' expectations of me. It was all just too much. I think that we all understand Martha's frustration in this same way. Perhaps we can remember group projects when we were in school and being the only person that did any of the work and not being able to get the good grade you think you deserved because you're doing the work of five people and how is that reasonable at all? Perhaps we've experienced this at the office when the team that we're supposed to be working with just isn't meeting their expectations at all and we try to rise to that high bar by ourselves. Maybe we see this at home when we are busy doing chores and somebody else is just sitting there, not even helping, not even asking if they could be of any help. Then, any one of these things might be a lot to carry 
but stack them together. The laundry needs to be done, and we're having your parents over tomorrow, and what will we cook for them, and my manager wanted that file on her desk by Monday, and isn't there a faith and practice event at the church tomorrow? What will people say of me if I'm not there? It's no surprise that Martha finds herself quite upset in this situation. Each of us would be too. It's not like she's fussing about little things that don't matter. It's not Martha the busybody. These things do matter. They matter in the context of the society she's in that's formed her and shaped her. They matter for her neighbors in the village she lives in. They matter to her, too, because of what she believes that they say about her value and her worth. They're important in a practical way as well, because people need to be cared for. And surely, if you have invited somebody into your home, that is your responsibility. Jesus must understand that, if nothing else. And so, Jesus' answer comes as a surprise to Martha. As he says, Martha, Martha, compassion, as he calls her to himself. You are worried and upset about many things. More than upset. The Greek here is in an uproar, just frazzled beyond belief at these many things. But he continues, few are needed. Indeed, only one. And how can he say that? Only one thing is needed? This feels like cheap and trite advice when the realities of the expectations of Martha's culture, of Martha's village, and indeed of herself, tell her otherwise. How is this word of Jesus good news to somebody who is burdened with so many expectations? Up until this point, Martha's life has been defined by surpassing the expectations of those around her. This has meant that those expectations have also become the defining characteristics of her life itself. And there's a good deal of scholarship out there which in fact argues that Martha might not have been fretting with household chores, important though household chores are in the context of hospitality. Rather, she may be worried about the work of ministry itself. Because the word here in Greek is the word for service. And in the book of Luke and the book of Acts together, this word for service is used to describe the work that apostles do. This is holy work that Martha is concerned about. Maybe she has allowed her service to others to define her. She's committed her whole life to certain tasks which we would even agree are important and are good and should be done well. Martha is a good and faithful servant in so many senses of the word. But Jesus says that Mary has chosen the better way and that it will not be taken from her. What better way has Mary chosen? We don't see Mary much in this story. This is a story about Martha, Mary's just Martha's sister. But the one singular thing it says Mary does is she sits at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said. Sitting at Jesus' feet is an image of being a disciple. Mary positions herself 
as a disciple of Jesus. And she seizes an opportunity to be shaped by him, to be reformed by what he teaches. Martha isn't bad. Let's get that straight. That's not what this story is about. Martha isn't even wrong. The preparations had to be made. Martha isn't turned away from Jesus. Jesus loves Martha deeply. Martha has simply allowed the tasks that are in front of her and the expectations that her society impresses upon her and perhaps even those that her religious community expected in her life to shape all the ways that she encounters the world and the ways that she views herself. She's doing good, even important work, but she's doing it to the detriment of what is good and beneficial for her. She's overwhelmed, she's exasperated as the things that she's doing overwhelm her completely. And she almost misses the opportunity to be reshaped and redirected by the teachings of Jesus. She almost misses her chance to take his yoke upon her and to learn from him. For he is gentle and humble in heart, and in him she would find rest for her soul. Friends, the same good news is offered to you today. You who are overwhelmed by health, by family, by work, maybe by your neighbors, just by life in general, and perhaps you who are overwhelmed even by the church. Jesus calls to you, seeing that you are worried and upset about many things, and he invites you to view it all through the lens of the one thing that he says truly matters. And so I invite you now to think this through with me. What would it mean for your children if your first concern was not that they get to all their extracurricular activities on time, was not that they live in the best school district, was not anything else, but your first concern for your children was actually that you are being discipled by Jesus? What would that look like? What would that mean? What could it mean for your office if your first concern wasn't hitting your sales target, wasn't getting on the partner track in the next two years, if it wasn't fixing all that guy's problems on your team? What if your first concern really was that you're being discipled by Jesus? What could that mean for your work? or perhaps in a way that's most relevant to all of us here this morning, what would it mean for our church if together our first concern was never the selection of songs on Sunday morning or how eloquent the preacher was, the quality of the coffee, or indeed attending every special event that's offered? But what if your first concern in this community as well was finding space to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to his words. And don't misunderstand me. None of this means that our families or our jobs or our service to the church or society at large doesn't matter. That's not the point of this story. What it means is that all of those things will be all the better if the first thing we're concerned about is that we're being discipled by Jesus. 
Because caring for children, that can be a tremendous act of ministry. But I'm sure it can become quickly overwhelming unless you've taken the time to hear the voice of Jesus tell you how much he loves you and encourage you to show that same love to your children. Excelling at your job can feel futile and dead-end and even like a capitulation to the rat race unless you've heard from Jesus his vision for what your work in that industry could mean today and what it points to about the truth of his coming world. Failing health and strained relationships it can leave us tired, can leave us completely undone, unless we find in the midst of those things the space to hear Jesus speak to us about the healing that he will surely bring and the ways that we're actually meant to experience it and share that healing with our world today, which can sometimes be different from the ways that we were expecting, the ways that we thought we would do that work. My point is that if it's really true that Jesus has overcome this world, if we believe that to be true, then our first priority should be for him to teach us these new ways of the new world that he's bringing in. Because the patterns that we've learned, the survival mechanisms and instincts that have brought us so far to this place are not going to be good enough, are not going to serve us well anymore. Those things are not always going to be the things Jesus calls us toward. I imagine as we learn to listen to Jesus more and more, to be discipled by him in all the ways that we can be, we'll find that his priorities do not perfectly line up with ours. He isn't going to tell Mary to help us. He's going to encourage us instead to find new life and rest in him. In his teaching, Jesus may free us from the burdens of expectations that are overwhelming us and instead redirect us to new tasks which will bring us life. Or instead, he may give us renewed energy and vigor in some of the areas where we realize that we have not, in fact, been left to do the work by ourselves. But that in reality, Jesus has always been with us. Whatever words that it is that Jesus will offer to you as he teaches you, we need to make space to hear them. Space in all the many tasks that may distract us to choose to sit at Jesus' feet, to reprioritize when all the world and even our own formation as people is telling us that we don't have time for Scripture, that we don't have time for prayer. We don't have time to be discipled by Jesus right now because we've got too much else going on. There are so many things that have to be done to realize in that moment precisely that is when we most need to hear the words of Jesus. Maybe we'll find that when we create the space to hear these life-giving words, to sit at his feet, we'll never regret it. We'll never feel after 15 minutes in prayer, or maybe two, you can start out slow, that, oh, I really should have done this other thing instead. I don't think you'll find that to be the case. Because the reality for Martha was the same reality for all of Jesus' disciples who were part of his journey to the cross. 
that they were not alone. But she felt alone. She felt overwhelmed. She lost the priority of hearing Jesus over everything else. She was never alone. But she couldn't see that with the waters up to her neck. And the one who has overcome the world itself longed to offer her his peace. So it is for all of us who walk this Lenten journey toward the cross of Jesus, aware at all times of the crosses that we bear and the crosses that we may be asked to bear for the sake of the world. We must always be aware instead that the cross is not our first priority. Jesus is our first priority. And the way of the cross is the way of being discipled by our Lord not the way we choose for ourselves, not the burdens and the expectations that others are so happy and keen to hoist on us, only what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus goes before us on this road. Jesus goes before us in all of these things, calling to us, calling us always back to the one thing that is needed, to see him on the way and to listen to him, to know that he surrounds us in his love and mercy, and to enter every overwhelming situation in life with a new perspective, given to us by the one who has borne it all for our sakes, and who proclaims his victory even while he's still on the way. Very truly, in Christ's abiding presence, in his words spoken to us throughout life's difficult journeys, we will surely find peace and rest for our souls. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, you see us. You see each of us, and especially the troubles and worries that have caused us to become overwhelmed, that have caused us to become upset at our lives. Jesus, we pray for those of us who feel as though the water is up to our necks, that the sea engulfs us, that our throats are even parched from calling for help, that you would meet us in our need, reveal yourself to us, Help us to see how we have not been left alone. Lord Jesus, teach us your ways. Help all of us in the many tasks in our lives that must be done, the necessary work that we cannot escape, to first make time and space to learn from you. And in your teaching, reshape our eyes. Give us new vision and imagination to see how the work you call us to do is good for us, good for our neighbors, and work which you give us every power to be able to accomplish. We pray all these in your strong name. Amen.